0: It's, it's extremely important. Our, we're trying to really help develop boys into godly men. Um, not just godly, but godly men, specifically men, which is um, which is kind of going away in our society today. So so just to push that to you a little bit, <clears throat> I also, I have this feeling, I can't quite put my finger on it. I have this feeling that I found Waldo, but I can't remember exactly where that was. <laughs> All right, uh, so I want us to about some stuff having to do with Ukraine, um, Russia, all this stuff. Just this morning, uh, Putin released a statement that they are on um, high nuclear alert in Russia because um, some members of NATO and some of the leadership of NATO have been saying that um, they may be uh, doing something with troops or something like that. They, they haven't really committed to anything, but they've been saying we're gonna, we're not gonna let this stand. And so n- now, um, Putin. Which, by the way, when he first went in there, he did basically threaten America. It wasn't many other countries that would be actually involved, but he did threaten us with nuclear war. He said um, devastation that the world has never seen before, which would have to take away all conventional weapons. And so. So uh, now he's threatening with uh, nuclear. I've been saying this for quite a quite a few weeks now. That um, as soon as as soon as the Olympics were over, remember, China and Russia made an agreement: don't invade Ukraine until the Olympics are over. The Olympics are over. Three days later, they invade. Um, the China has also just this morning released uh, some information about how they're doing a very large uh, military exercise off the coast of Taiwan. I've been saying this for quite a few weeks that as soon as Russia invades Ukraine, China is gonna invade Taiwan. Because, well, they'll give it a few days to see if Biden's gonna do anything. It's obvious. I mean, Biden came out with a speech this week and said, we will send no military presence into Ukraine under any circumstances. That was his speech. He said that. he said, we'll send help and smile and wave a lot but we're not gonna go into Ukraine. But if they dare take one step into a NATO country, we're gonna be all over that. I don't believe that for a second, but I told you China's gonna invade Taiwan. Here's where where you need to be looking at this on a a, um, um, uh, eschatological nature. Is this end time events, is this end time war? Just pay attention to Iran. They're gonna hold the key to all of this. We know that Russia comes down into, in the end time in Ezekiel 38, Russia comes down into um, Israel and attacks Israel. God stands against um, them, but he does it with Iran in partnership with Iran. That's what Ezekiel 38 says, and so 39 also. So just kind of keep your eyes on Iran. Is this end times or is this another, uh, is this the wars and rumors of wars, right? Leading up to the birth pains of, of, of end times. So just, just kind of keep your eye on um, Iran and you'll kind of know what this is looking like um, militaristically having to do with end time events. And so I'd like us to pray for <clears throat> everybody's involved. See, I don't think that Putin is uh, just putting out the uh, nuclear threat just because of the NATO stuff. I think also he gets into Ukraine and Ukraine are fighting back pretty hard. They're, they're actually being very successful. And here's part of the reason. you got a lot of Russian troops that are not fighting because this is their brothers and sisters. This is family members. And so they're not fighting too hard, and, and that's been documented um, quite a bit. And so, so let's pray for this whole thing. you got an evil, tyrannical leader in Putin that is, that is he just out for murder, land, resources, that kind of thing. And there's so many people caught up in this, so many people from Russia and from the Ukraine. And so, so let's just pray. Lord, we, we lift them up to you. God, we lift the, the church in Ukraine up to you. We've seen so many examples of them standing strong and, and, and worshiping and serving you and witnessing to others and, and bringing relief and aid to so many people. So, God, we, we ask you, even for us, that we can help get involved in that. And, uh, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for We pray for peace. We pray that, God, that you just step in and stop this thing. And, uh, Lord, we know you can do it. We know you can do it. And uh, so, Lord, we lift that up to you. We do know that that you have a plan, and there's end-time stuff and all that. But, Lord, we also know that there are people that are dying. And so, so fix that, Lord God. Take care of that in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have seen many pundits, they call themselves conservatives, um, that have been talking about how, you know, Ukraine really wasn't that democratic of a country. So it's not that big of a deal. The only thing that is is ignorance of Ukraine and what they've been trying to do over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, They are working as hard as they can to be an amazing free country. And uh, and so, and and you know another thing that I've I've listened to the all the, these are people that seem to know what they're talking about. How do how do you get a job on the news when you are clueless about what's going on? It's it's and I'm not talking about like all of the fake news. I'm talking about these people call themselves conservatives and. But they're t- at the b- very beginning. I was watching it when I got home Wednesday night from church, and watching these countries, and they're saying, "Well, they're going to take these two provinces that have showed allegiance to Russia, and then probably Crimea because you know it's Crimea." But uh, and I'm like, "That's your answer?" The simple thing is, is no. They're going to take the whole. They're going to take all of Ukraine. Wednesday night they were landing airborne soldiers in Kiev. That's look at a map. That's not the border. And so you just got to keep praying. But, but there, here's a good thing. If you want to financially give or do something with this, I guess you could even go over there and get, get a rifle. You don't take your own. They'll hand it to you when you get there. That's true, by the way. People from other countries are walking in there just handing them AK-47s and, and saying, go look for Russians. I mean, literally, that's the way it is. And so... Uh, but if you want to financially give, there's a handful of ministries right here in Springs already that are mobilizing some stuff. There's things like Samaritan's Purse. If you're interested, um, we, we have we have uh, some contacts. Email the office, call the office, and we'll give you some places that you can financially uh, connect to. And you'll just connect straight to them. Not I mean, You don't have to go through our church. We don't have anything set up to go through us. And so... Um just, just if you're interested in that, let us know. But, but continue to pray without a shadow of a doubt. Continue to pray. So we also have had over the last few weeks, we've been um, having a transition. We have Trisha Winslow used to be our women's director, did an amazing job with that. Very, very solid stuff over the years. Um, she stepped down a couple weeks ago, and Shelby has accepted to be the new women's director. And so I saw Shelby in first service. Is she in second is she in this service? Just first service? Um, if you're interested in that and you're, you're saying, ladies, what, you know, well, I need to know information or let me get to know Shelby or whatever, just talk to her. Uh, she she was out in the four-year-before service um, talking about the thing. But she's also said that she's going to be giving some of the direction of vision some stuff that um, she's wanting to process, do, do some some direction to go and things in, in the uh, women's tea, uh, which I think there's already like 60 ladies signed up for the women's tea. So good job on that. But, uh, but if you need more information, she can help you out with who she is and what's going on and, and the direction of all of that. So <clears throat> Now, I, uh, I, I did mention four weeks ago that I was probably going to have a, a uh, week four of the series. I had the three weeks, and I was probably going to do week four. And, I was, and it was kind of from some of the stuff having to do with week one, two, and three. As we're coming up to the end times, how do we get how – do, how does the world – and the church get to the place where they accept one world government, one world religion, all this stuff. That that's always been the part that's been um, elusive to me over the years. Although I can say, literally, the last two years has showed me very clearly how easily and simply that stuff can happen. In a way, I just didn't really expect. I didn't really expect our country to do what it's done and all this uh, in the face of all this. Now, with that, I'm actually changed this week, and I want to. I want to. It's about this same subject, but it's really about This is the foundation and the truth of this whole subject, okay? Even the stuff with um, Russia, Ukraine, we're seeing a lot of um, uh, Ukrainian Christians really connect with and being able to witness to a lot of Ukrainians. And we even have, I I have, I think you've probably seen some of this online, some Ukrainians that have had the opportunity to witness to Russian soldiers and the soldiers get saved. When do you... when do you see that happen in, in World War? I mean, I guess it has. We just didn't have the Internet to tell us. But, man, that's just it's just been powerful. And so, so I want us to look at this this morning, the, the concept of, of just salvation, what it means to be saved, what this means in the face of everything else. And, and part of the reason this is so, I guess, strong in my spirit is I think that what I've been speaking about the last three weeks, I think, I think the biggest thing about why, why, specifically our country, but the whole world, but specifically America, why why we can be so easily duped into following the Antichrist, following for this one world religion, government, all this other kind of stuff, all the scriptures I've been reading the last few weeks, that, that the whole world, he will he will rule over the whole world, and, and the whole world will worship him. That, I, how do we get to that point? I think the biggest reason is because Salvation is not being preached and taught like it's supposed to be. That really is the foundation if you think about this. The foundation of your life is Jesus. My life is Jesus. The foundation of this world is Jesus. Scripture says that this whole world is going to be burnt up and destroyed. But it also says that the foundations of this world will never go away. What this thing was built upon. It wasn't built upon on the idea of having a, a, plant, a planet of terra firma. It was, it was built upon a place for us to interact with God. That foundation will never be taken away. This, this interaction that we have, the opportunity we have to serve God and to know him and to, to be close to the God of the universe. And he, and he makes this planet and he puts this planet here for this reason. Now think about this, everything in the Old Testament is pushing toward and trying to to guide us toward and prophesy about Jesus is coming. That is the mentality, that's the theme of the Old Testament. Sometimes we get caught up in that it is a set of stories and histories of the moment and the time. There's not actually a reason for that. There wouldn't be a reason for the Bible and the Old Testament unless it was pointing toward Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing toward Jesus, trying to get us to see Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And then Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. And then everything from, the, from that point to the end of the New Testament is all about Jesus is coming again. That's the point of this. There's no point for the book if it's not that. If that's not the, the centralness of it and the theme of it, there's no point for the book. And so we have this, this understanding that Jesus Christ is, is the everything. Now, with that, we, we understand that we as human beings we need to understand that we live forever. You live forever. I live forever. We are eternal people. Because sometimes—now, I understand the language. It's, um, I'm, I am, I am I'm kind of splitting semantical hairs here. But when we say, well, when you get saved, you have eternal life— as long as you define eternal life as life, uh, etern- uh, living eternally in life with Christ, that's what that means. It doesn't just mean living forever. Because every one of us in this room are going to live forever. Every person that's ever existed on this planet will live forever. The difference is, is, do you live forever in Christ or do you live forever not in Christ, which the only other option is Satan. Do you live in evil, darkness, all this other stuff, or do you live in Christ? And then you hear stupid statements. I heard this a lot back in the day when I was like in high school. I don't hear it as much anymore. Maybe I'm not hanging out with the right people, but, but I used to hear this a lot. Well, I'd rather, I'd rather live in hell with my friends than heaven with a bunch of, and then there was a, uh, many descriptions after that. But that, that's because we, those people are so ignorant of what hell is. So ignorant, and I put that at the feet of the church, specifically back when I was in high school, there were still major, major percentages of our country that had a, a basic 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 uh, understanding of the Bible, things like heaven and hell right that 's not the case anymore. I understand that but this is, this is one of the things that we've done, is that we've gotten away from this subject of heaven and hell. I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit this morning. But this other idea that, we're, that we all live forever, that, that is a reality. We're eternal people. We're spiritual people first, and we're going to live forever. You decide where you're going to do that. Nobody else decides that for you. You decide that. The question that people say, well, how could God sense When they start with that part of the subject, they've they've missed the point. They've missed the truth, and they stepped into some kind of of, um, spin and and world talk. God doesn't send anybody anywhere. He holds you accountable for your decision. You decide where you're going to end up for eternity. You decide that. No one can decide that for you. Only you decide that. God just holds us accountable. And the idea also that kind of creeps in it creeps in, and this becomes from, so let me give you a little bit of basic. There is this mentality of Calvinism, where Calvinism is, um, there's five points to Calvinism. This is a theological base that the church developed years ago, a couple hundred years ago, by a guy named John Calvin. And he said things like um, that God, Jesus only died for somebody, for some people. That's called limited atonement. We don't believe that. We believe Jesus died for everybody. He didn't pick and choose. He died for everybody. Also believe, uh, the Calvinism also believes in predestination. That, that your life is predestined before you are born. Every little event, every single thing that's going to happen is predestined. You don't actually choose that stuff. You can take about five seconds and prove that's not true. Right? We don't believe that everything is right. No, we believe in free will. You are a person that makes your own decisions. You decide stuff. Right now today, you decide things. Nobody else is deciding that for you. You are. So, so, but all that stuff stacks together. That if, if it's all predestined, then Jesus already decided who was going to go to heaven and hell beforehand. It all fits together. We don't believe that. Well, I hope you don't believe that. that. We believe that Jesus died for everybody. Scripture is very, very clear about that. Many, many scriptures that say that. Also that you have free will. This is why, this is why something like unconditional eternal security, which is a third pillar of Calvinism, doesn't work. That means you pray a prayer, and then from that point on, you're going to go to heaven no matter what you do. Well, you are a free will person that can decide whether you love Jesus or not, can decide whether you serve Jesus or not, and that never, ever changes. You're still a free will person up to the very second you die, and you can choose Jesus or you can choose Satan. You can choose Jesus and his plan and his word, or you can choose sin, you can choose whatever you want to. The idea that just because you pray a prayer, that that you're no longer a person of free will, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't cognitively process. But these are theological things that people have developed. Now with that, there's this mentality because of predestination, there's this mentality that the church has sometimes that that um, that people... People have to go through certain things before they get saved. Now, there's a difference between people going through certain things before they get saved and people having to go through certain things before they get saved. Those are two different subjects. The idea that, that I have to experience this and this and this so that I can understand redemption. That's, that to, to say that means that it is not God's will for you to get saved today. It's God's will for you to sin today. Right? Are you following my process of thinking? Okay. So you say, well, it's not God's will for them to get saved yet. We're not getting that from Scripture. L- let me, let me, l- let's start out here. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. As God's partners, this, this is Paul talking, we beg you to, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it, the opportunity to be saved. Don't ignore it. Somebody is telling you, Um, uh, Somebody is is giving you a Bible Somebody is praying for you And then somebody talks to you about Jesus Don't ignore this gift that they're trying to give you This is what Paul is saying For God says at just the right time I heard you On the day of salvation I helped you And some people use that to say Well there is a specific time and a moment That somebody is supposed to get saved Which when they're using that argument It means not right now But then God defines When this special moment is Again, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Right now is the time for every human on the planet to get saved. The only time that Paul ever uses the word predestined, predestination, or anything like that, the only time Paul ever uses that word is when he says that it is predestined for everyone to know Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross because He had a plan for you to get saved. It doesn't matter who the you is. He has a plan for you to get saved. That's why He died on the cross. If He, if it was limited atonement, this is one of the things. In fact, I haven't I haven't mentioned this in a few years. But I had a professor back in in my my master's program. Um, I had a professor that was very hardcore Calvinist and and great man. He was the missiology ma, uh, director at the university and. And um, really liked the guy. We had a lot of discussions about salvation and missions and all this kind of stuff. And he, was a, he had a retired missionary that became to be a professor. And he told me the, the, um, the last class I took with him, the semester before I graduated, uh, the semester that I did graduate, he, he stopped the class. He said, I just want to say something to this class. He said, I've never said anything like this, and, I'm, and I may get in trouble for this. And, it, and at Denver Seminary, he probably was going to get reprimanded by somebody for saying this. But he said, I used to believe and limited atonement. And he said, since I've had Scott in my classes over four years, (laughs) he said, I now do not believe that Jesus only died for some. And he just starts weeping. He said, I realized Jesus died for everybody. And that's when, and then the whole rest of the class, he talked about how we've got to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because it's the most important thing, guys. There's nothing more important than that. You knowing Jesus right now, Eclipses anything in life. You know, and I don't mean just I go to church and I pray a prayer. I mean, know Him. Relationship with Him. Get to know Him. Get close to Him. The relationship. When is that supposed to happen? Today. Now. He says, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Don't Even when you're witnessing, this is a, I know this is a tricky one, and, and our insecurities, a lot of stuff do this to us. I get that. I've, I've struggled with this over the years. When, you're, when you see the opportunity and you're actually witnessing somebody, you're trying to connect with them, don't assume they have a promise of tomorrow. Scripture says they don't have that promise. Don't assume somebody else is going to come along and tell them. Don't assume somebody else is going to come along and give them the opportunity to get saved. You say, well, I'm, I'm you know, Paul watered and, and Apollos, Apollos did something else. And don't, don't just assume that, okay? Don't just assume that. God's given you the opportunity to what? To witness to them. Go, go all the way through with that if you can. Don't let, don't let the, well, somebody else will come along. Because you don't know that. You don't know that. So I want to kind of break down this concept of salvation. There's a few basic things that I think are missing right now in, in the church in America. One is a good, strong, healthy understanding of salvation on a, re, on a, on a regular basis. Talking about Jesus. See, see, when I grew up in the church, um, the way you got saved in the church is you were scared to death. You were going to go to hell. And so they scared you to death until you got saved. Some of you may have grown up that way, some of you may not. That's the way I grew up. You did not want to go to hell. I didn't really hear a lot about the Jesus grace, Jesus loves you, all that kind of stuff, okay? I, I know it was probably being preached, but I didn't hear a lot of that. I just was scared to death of hell. And then around the late 1980s, in through the, all through the 1990s, the church made major shifts and said, well, let's, let's not scare them into heaven. Let's love them into heaven. And I like that. I like being loved into heaven. But I also know I'm a Christian today. And I know that hell is real and I still don't want to go there. See, the idea that somehow... This is, this is one of the lies that Satan has told the church... That if we don't have a healthy balance, understand there is a heaven, but there is also a hell. There's God and there's Satan. There's good and there is abject evil. We're seeing it unfold right now ac- across Ukraine. This is one man saying, I'm taking this country. I don't care who says anything about it. The idea that we're just going to love everybody into to relationship with Jesus, there's something greatly missing there. And, and that is the, the understanding of the balance of sin and the, the judgment for sin. And then what happens is somebody starts going to the church and they're just being loved into the church. And the moment something happens that, that uh, reveals any way whatsoever to them that they're not being loved according to their definition, according to their understanding, according to narcissism, humanism that we've, in, that we've built into the foundation of the church, the moment that happens, they're like, well, I don't need church anymore. Those are all just a bunch of hypocrites and jerks. Because why? We, haven't, we didn't get saved to serve a God that is bigger than everything and that died for our sins. Because why? We're a sinner that's going to hell, and he rescued us from that. That's not why we're getting saved. We're just kind of coming alongside of the church and enjoying the benefits of the church. And there's, and there's this... There's this big gap. And then you got guys like Rob Bell that come along and say there is actually no hell. Let me give you some of the theology behind this real quickly. Um, this is basic. There's a few different, different layers, but there's this basic. There's a, there's a word in the Greek called gahana, and that's a word that is used for hell. And then Sheol and some others. But there's this word gahana that is used for salvation, um, used for hell in the New Testament. So, And it is, it is a Greek word that is from the uh, Hebrew word sheol, and some other words having to do with hell from the Old Testament. That's important. So then what happens is, around the time of Jesus, um, outside of Jerusalem, they had these big pits where they took all their trash and refuse and things like that, and sometimes even dead bodies, and they would throw them in this pit and burn them in that big pit. And then somebody started naming that pit Gehana. So then now we've got all of these very bright people 2,000 years later that says that when Jesus was using terms like Gahanna or that John was or that Paul was, they were not talking about some kind of eternal hell. They were talking about a big pit outside of Jerusalem that they used to burn trash in. Because why? Well, that's what its name was. Why was that its name? Because there was already an understanding and a definition of hell, and that was the worst place going, so they called it hell too. These are, these are educated people that are making these statements today. Rob Bell, being one of those, builds his whole theology on this and says, See, it wasn't really hell, it's just a big pit of fire. Guys, this is what Satan does to us, is he takes time and enlightened theologians to spread lies to us. And as I said, you know, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and, and I had a handful of questions about this. So, so this is obviously important. I said that, you know, it's interesting that these that these theologians that are so anti-Holy Spirit and anti-gifts of the Spirit and anti-speaking in tongues and anti-supernatural miracles and all this kind of stuff, I said they have the luxury of preaching that in a Western Christianity. And some of you ask, what does that mean? And I explain to anybody that asks, but let me explain what that means in a big sense. It's because we live in a country that has been so sanitized from anything spiritual We have have bleached everything that has to do with the supernatural, the Holy Spirit for today, gifts of the Spirit for today, miracles, anything like that for today. We've so uh, sanitized the church from that that if we see anything spiritual, we give people more medicine, call it bipolar, and stick them in a mental health ward. And we never deal with the fact that some of these people, probably most of these people, are dealing with spiritual issues and demonic issues rather than they're just chemically imbalanced there's some legitimate mental health and chemical imbalance I would never argue against that but I believe there's a lot of stuff that is just demonic but we've sanitized the church we don't deal with that and then you have these pastors that will teach this and most of the time they're academicians they're not actually pastors they teach in seminaries and they say well this stuff is not for today it's because you don't step your toe outside anything that has to do with spirituality you stay in your academic halls and you don't come face to face with the world that's actually going through stuff. And they're going through the demonic and, and we see Satan oppressing and destroying and manipulating. And then God comes out with a statement that says that the church has the, the uh, form of godliness, but it doesn't have power. And And, the, and these people are in their... Churches also, but in their, their academic halls saying, well, you know, that's not really us. We have power. Why? Because we've accepted Jesus. Except Jesus said, Jesus said that he is going to send the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit will empower us as Christians. He will give us the Holy Spirit, because as Christians, we need the Holy Spirit. And so we skip both of these steps, and these are the most important things that will ever happen to us as human beings. Accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, bowing our lives down to a holy God, understanding that he is the judge, and that someday we will step into eternity. There is a heaven, there is a hell, you're going to make the decision. The other side of that is that we need the Holy Spirit, I, I, I stand on this very strongly. You need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. You need to be praying in tongues every day. Say, so, well, I, that's not who I am. I'm not really experiencing it. I'm like, then pray for it. You do the, exactly what they did in Acts 2. They prayed and said, uh, fill us with the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus stepped to the disciples and he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I heard this sermon years ago. My father-in-law pro- taught this in a sermon before Linda and I were dating. Well, we'd already dated, and but that's not important. So I was sitting in that church, and I just got saved. I'm trying to serve Jesus, and he said, being filled with the Holy Spirit is easy as breathing. He said, look how Jesus did this. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What they do? They breathed in and received the Holy Spirit. The reason it becomes difficult is because you've been taught against it been taught against it in the church. Anytime you see something like this in movies or Hollywood or anything, it's a big joke. All them speaking in tongues people. But the entire 100% of the New Testament church spoke in tongues every day. They they spoke in tongues in the services. They had messages in tongues, interpretation, prophecy, word of knowledge, all this stuff every single time they got together. and, and part of the reason we know that is because Paul said Well, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Because he said, look, we're all doing this. We all get it. We all understand it. So now let's put some balance to it. Somewhere there has to be a sermon. That's basically what he was saying. He said, but this is necessary. It's important. It's important for you. It's important for me. guys. we need the Holy Spirit. We need to get saved. We need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Every day. Paul said that. Constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit. But we've taken this stuff off the table and we say, well, it's not, it doesn't matter. Look at this, Matthew chapter 11. This is so lost on us in American church. You will never even hear a sermon about this. Matthew 11 verse 12. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. See, we even use terms nowadays um, like um, when you're talking about evangelism. We'll have uh, passive evangelism, confrontational evangelism, and there's all these uh, ideas of evangelism. Let me, let me help you out with what those, the def- definition of those. Um, confrontational evangelism, that's somebody getting saved. All the others, somebody's not getting saved. That's what that is. Because confrontational evangelism is what somebody getting saved will be every time. Because this is a war. This is a battle. You are stepping into the enemy's camp. You are speaking to somebody that belongs to the enemy and telling them, why don't you switch sides? I know the real king. That's what salvation is. That's confrontational. It's going to be confrontational every single time. Now, standing on a street corner with an A-frame sign. This, some of you younger don't even know this is, exists. We did this back in the day. Um, standing on a street corner and you got an A-frame sign that says, turn or burn, you know, that kind of thing. That's kind of confrontational. I get that. All right? I, I saw one one time, don't be a French fry, serve Jesus. And I thought, are you? Are you do you think Jesus is going to bowl us in hot oil? I don't know what you're telling me here, but, but at the time I was like, you know what I want right now? French fries. So, but, but yes, I understand there are confrontational ways to do it. Guys, salvation will always be confrontational. Here's the reason. Because the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and will always be forcefully advancing. This is a war. You and I are in a war. The war is not for for ground terra firma. It's not for um, governments. It's not for resources. It's for souls. See, all of this earth is eventually going to be done away with. All of the things that people are fighting for right now, the main reason that Putin is going well, part of the reason Putin is going to Ukraine is because he thinks that's his country and it was taken from him. But a lot of it is because of resources. They need those resources, right? Which is why, by the way, why Germany has been very passive about this. This morning they said they're sending military stuff, but they're not. Germany's going to have to be very passive. They've been, they've been pro-Russia for a long time. Why? Because 100% of their oil comes from Russia. And then we do away with our pipeline that pumps um, somewhere around seven hundred to 800,000 barrels. Uh, uh, big a number. I'm lost in my own head right now. About 800 thousand barrels of oil a day would have, we shut it down. and we're only getting like 350 barrels, 350,000 barrels from Russia every day. We shut down twice as much as we are paying for. This is, all, this is all goofiness. You know all that stuff's going to be done away with? Oil's not going to matter. Gold's not going to matter. This is why God says the streets are made of gold in heaven. All the things that you think are so important mean nothing in eternity. But what does mean something in eternity is your relationship with Jesus. That's what means, that's the only thing that has relevance from this earth into eternity. Your relationship with Jesus. Do you love him? Are you serving him? He says the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets in the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. They all saw it coming. See, that's that statement. The entire Bible, all of the Old Testament was looking toward Jesus. Not just the history of the moments or the stories, although they can apply to us as just stories. But every one of them is pointing toward Jesus in the future. In fact, I'm talking about uh, Daniel um, uh, 7, Wednesday night. I'm probably going to have to take two Wednesday nights to do this. Some powerful stuff there. And if you're willing to accept it, I say he's Elijah, the one the prophets who would come. Now, some people believe that John the Baptist was actually Elijah. Okay, the, the real Elijah. I struggle with that a little bit. I struggle with that a lot, actually. But But here's the thing. Elijah actually didn't die, so it's not reincarnation if it is Elijah. Just theologically messing with you a little bit there. So, Anyway, you, you understand what he's saying is it's the, <clears throat> it's the spirit, it's the prophetic mentality of Elijah, right? Could be the guy too. Anyway, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now look at this. This, this describes right now today just as much as it describes, maybe even more than it describes them then. This is, this is Jesus saying this. To what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. We're playing games. They complained to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. Th- these are spiritual, scriptural things um, at this time frame. We would say weddings nowadays are very non spiritual. They're, they're just human stuff that's going to. That's because we've allowed that to become that. Weddings and funerals were completely spiritual church service mentalities, they were spiritual. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance, so we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. Let me show you some reality of hell. Again, I don't don't want somebody to be scared of hell. The only reason you would be scared of hell is you're not serving Jesus. I'm not scared of hell right now. I know it's real, and I know it's scary. I'm not scared of hell. I belong to Jesus. I have a relationship. But I wasn't when I was a teenager, and so I was scared of hell. So I don't want somebody to be scared of hell Unless you're not a Christian, then I want you to be very, very scared of hell. Right? I want you to love Jesus with everything about you. But, but I want that to be a biblical concept of love. Not this narcissistic humanism love where Jesus does something for me. He's, a, he's, he's my sugar daddy. He's all this kind of stuff. We want Jesus to be our God and our Savior. And we bow our life to him. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15. Hell is described as a lake of fire. Psalms 116 It's, a, it's a, a, a fire storm, a wind fire storm, very horrible. felt like Trump there very, very, very horrible. It's horrible, most horrible thing ever. Matthew chapter 13 verse 42. it's a place of wailing and a furnace of fire. Luke chapter 16 verse 23 It's a place of torment. actually Actually, that scripture in Luke chapter 16 talks about it being a place of torments. It's a plural. That'll that'll get in your head a little bit. Matthew chapter 8, which, by the way, I really, really like the story of Dante's Inferno, and I think it's probably um, got some very good foundational truth to it. If you say, I don't know what that is, you need to look it up and read it. It'll it'll get your attention. Um, Matthew chapter 8 Verse twelve, a place of outer darkness. Revelation fourteen eleven, it's a place of unrest. It's eternal unrest. It's never, never resting unrest. Luke chapter sixteen, a place, uh, verse twenty four, a place where people scream for mercy for eternity. Matthew twenty five verse forty six, a place of everlasting punishment. One of the mentalities is becoming <clears throat> much more popular. And again, guys like Rob Bell were the ones pushing this, but it, but it existed long before. Rob didn't come up with something brand new there. Okay? It's always been. These, these things cycle through history. The church is always having to come back and say, no, that's not true, which is one of the reasons we have so many different denominations, by the way. Sometimes it's just because you've got cranky people, but sometimes it's because they're trying to say theologically, no, we've gone away from truth. We've got to get back to truth. Okay? Um... <clears throat> this this modern mentality that's really creeping in is the fact that hell is not punitive it's rehabilitative it's temporary and it's rehabilitative now now where does this come from it's obviously where it comes from at least in modern um in modern church history it comes from the fact that you could pray people out of purgatory or pray people out of hell and pray them into heaven. That was a Catholic belief. That was a completely demonically inspired Catholic belief where they were, the only reason they did it was to make money. The priest saw a reason, hey, I can make some money on this. So you go to somebody that's really sad because their, their husband or wife just died and you tell them, hey, if you'll give me, the priest, if you'll give me $100, I'll pray them from hell into heaven. And like it's worth it. But it's a lie, it's not true. Hell is not rehabilitative. Here's the thing. What what are you doing in hell to to stack up a bunch of good stuff so you can make it out of there? Think through this rationally. What good deeds are you doing? Helping helping old ladies across the fiery furnace pits? Don't step in the lava, I'll put you on my back. I mean, think about this stuff. What are we, making license plates? And then someday, Satan's like, you know what? You made 4,700 million zillion license plates. You can go. Guys, it's weird how we come up with stuff like this. Hell is not punitive. I mean, it's not rehabilitative. It is purely punitive. And it's purely your choice. One hundred percent, your choice acts chapter nine i want to I want to get to the good stuff <clears throat> Acts chapter nine, verse one. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill all the lord 's followers, so he went to the high priest he is he is a, a murderer and, and trying to kill Christians and put him in jail. so he goes to the church leadership that Christianity came from. the the Jewish people that Jesus Christ came from, he goes to the the leadership of the, the Jewish church and he requests letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for the cooperation in the rest of the followers of the way. That's Christians that he found there. So he goes to the leadership of the church and says, hey, I think we should kill these Christians. And the church is like, I can get behind that. Think about that. Think about that. I think, I think Johan was telling me this the other day. Johan, just act like you did if you didn't. OK. so <clears throat> he was talking about in his country, um, what was it again? Albania? He, <laughs> joke. But, but he was telling about that when they would go, when the church would go, Christians would go try to witness to, to Muslims that the Orthodox Church would come, they would go hand out Bibles and witness to them. The Orthodox Church would come and grab the Bibles out of the Muslims' hands and tear them up and say, this is not for you. The Christians are witnessing because that's what Christians do. The church was against it because that's what the church does. And it's been that way for, forever. And Paul said, let's kill Christians. And the church said, Maybe even two thumbs up. So, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. You know, as good, loving, caring people will do. Verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul asked the question, but I think he kind of already knows the answer. When the voice from heaven says this, you kind of get it. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. The people are my people, but you're persecuting me. You're persecuting me. You know, the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. I just saw some statistics a few weeks ago that said that uh, over a uh, over a hundred i 'm sorry over yes over a hundred thousand people, the best that the Western Church can tell statistically over a hundred thousand people have been saved in Iran in the last two years. Can you imagine that? this is a, now think about this let 's let this really get under our skin here a little bit. This is a country where if you become a Christian, you can be put in jail and killed for it. beheaded. This is a country. That if you get saved and you tell your family, they will completely ostracize you and maybe even turn you into the government to have you killed. The idea of commitment. I, I, I'm building a series right now on commitment, but I'm trying to make sure that I'm not just getting up and, and picking on us as American Christians. But this idea of commitment and suffering does not exist in the American church. We can commit for whenever we feel like it and however long we feel like it. But I mean really commit, really get in and commit. That's not American church thinking. We don't, we don't, it's not even come into view. The moment pressure of life gets on, all the church stuff is the first thing that gets taken off the list. This idea of suffering, that's not American church thinking. I'm going to suffer? That I just sat with a missionary yesterday, and they were explaining to me um, in Africa, some of the groups they were working with, that they were gonna to try to help this, this guy that was doing ministry and he was, he was trying to, to win people to the Lord. And, and it's a big story. But he said, so he went to him and, said, and suggested that he help him and get involved and maybe even financially support or do something like that. And the guy said, no, I don't want any support. He says, I wanna suffer. He said, my suffering will get my mind right and keep me on the straight and narrow through this ministry. I thought, who does that? Nobody in America, we don't think like that. You're going to turn down funding so you can purposefully go through some difficult stuff to develop you? Man, that sounds like biblical Christianity. He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. And, and Saul gets it. He realizes it. This is Jesus. He he. The obedience of this shows that he gave himself to Jesus. This is a salvation moment, right? So many Iranians right now, the reason I mention that is because most of the Iranians that are getting saved right now are seeing visions and dreams. They're seeing visions and dreams of Jesus. And that Jesus will supernaturally show himself to them. And they get saved through this. But see, we have such an anti Pentecostal thinking in America. We've taken visions and dreams almost off the table. God doesn't do that stuff. God doesn't supernaturally do things. You just need more ADHD medicine. You'll be fine. Don't worry about that. And God is trying to speak to us. He's trying to break through our lives and get into us and get into our existence and and show us his word and speak to us. And as we're... As we're spending time praying and praying in the Spirit. By the way, praying in tongues is the best way you're ever going to have of allowing the Holy Spirit to supernaturally speak to you. You, 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 can, you can pray the Lord's Prayer all day long. The chances of that vision happening, we don't see that in Scripture. But we do see when they are, are, are praying in tongues, the, the Holy Spirit does things. He shakes the building, he empowers them, flames of fire, all kinds of stuff. But we take it off the table. And that is the way they're getting saved in many Muslim countries. We just act like it's not part of it. The men stood with Saul stood speechless. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus called Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied, two visions within three days, two very important visions. Yes, Lord, he replied, the Lord said, go over to Straight Street. He's like, okay, Straight Street. House of Judas, got it, House of Judas. When you're there, when I'm there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. What did you say? He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. You told him my name? And he's coming in, and and Ananias is going to come in and lay hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, explain Ananias, because we like to help. Jesus probably didn't know all the details. He says, Lord, um, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. To take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well to the people of Israel. Let me help you. You are God's chosen instrument right now. You, you need to grab onto that and embrace it. You are God's chosen instrument. He has specifically designed you, planned you, created you, and then saved you. So to do something. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See the two things? Gain your sight physically. I, I heard a preacher years ago say, that was cataracts. Oh, You've you got to stop saying words. <laughs> he said, he has sent me so that you regain your sight and what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He saved three years before. But you need the power of the Holy Spirit, Saul, because things are about to get big. You need the Holy Spirit instantly. Something like Scales. Cataracts fell right out of Saul's eyes. They'd only been there three days, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Five things. First, we're sinners that need forgiveness. You and I. Second thing, the Holy Spirit will do whatever he can to bring you to Jesus. He'll do whatever he can. And here's another one. He will do whatever he can to bring your children to Jesus, and your neighbors to Jesus, and your friends to Jesus, But a lot of the whatever he can is you. It's me. He wants your your friends and family to be saved. Not just just go to church, but be saved. Get in and serve God. The third thing Jesus will bring people around you. He'll bring people around you to help you, to develop you, disciple you, those kind of things. Um, some of you are very relational. You're like, "Yes, I want people to be brought around me." But here's the thing with that: is you got to be careful because he wants you to be having good, solid, healthy um, discipling, ministering conversations. And the more relational you are, the potentially you will enjoy the relationship to the detriment of the discipleship. That's a reality. And then you got people like me that don't want people brought around me. <laughs> but here's the reality, guys. Don't don't resist when the Holy Spirit's trying to do this. When he's trying to put people in your life to minister to and disciple, don't resist it. Let it it happen. Fourth thing, Jesus will redeem you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. And number five, Jesus wants relationship, friendship with us. John 15, verse 9, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love if you don't obey his commandments, you're not remaining in his love. You're the one making the choice. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Which is what? He went to the cross. He says there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now look at this statement because we have a lot of the church that says, Oh, I'm a friend of God. We've seen this song, I'm a friend of God. Oh, this stuff. Here's what he says. You are my friends if, if you do what I command. He's going to love you irregardless. He's going to love you 100%. Nothing will separate you from God's love. But he is not going to be hanging out with you as a friend unless you are obeying him. If you are resisting him, he's going to back off and let the Holy Spirit convict you to get you to the point where he can be your friend. And that comes through obedience. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends, since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Great statement. You can live your whole life on that statement. You didn't choose Jesus, he chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Do something so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command, love each other. Why don't you stand with me? So here's what I would like us to do this morning I'd like us to get saved Every one of us You say, well I'm already saved Me too I don't think it hurts To get saved But some of you, you're, you're not saved And you need to Please don't take this casually the thing we're seeing through the Ukrainian church right now is the urgency of you need to give your heart to Jesus you need to give your heart to Jesus as I think we need that urgency right now let's get saved let's just ask Jesus to be in charge some of you, you're a Christian but you just kind of gotten lazy you know that um, you're losing the love for Jesus the revelation talks about so we're just going to ask Jesus to be in charge two things Jesus, I, I repent I ask you to forgive me I want your Holy Spirit. Be my Savior, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be my Savior, fill me with your Holy Spirit, right? I'm gonna pray for me, you pray for you. Don't pray for the person on your right and your left because you can't save them. You pray for you, right? Let's pray. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. God, I give you my mind, my life, my heart, my heart give you my soul. Jesus, I want to spend eternity with you. I I want you to forgive me. Wash me clean completely, Lord Jesus. Make me me who you want me to be. Bring me in relationship, right relationship with God. Jesus, you're the king. I'm not the king of anything. You're the king of everything. Jesus, I submit to you ask you to wash me clean anything that I have done that's not pleasing to you Lord even the things on the horizon that, that, are, that are potential temptations and, and opportunities to get my mind and my spirit off base Lord reveal those things to me and help me to walk in your blood, your forgiveness and your righteousness and in holiness Lord I want my relationships to be yours, I want my attitude to be yours i want my my spirit to be yours your word lord not not what i think but your word lord i commit myself i commit myself to you i make a commitment and a covenant that you are primary in my life you are not secondary in any way whatsoever you are the everything you're the direction your commandments are my my marching orders Lord, I, want, I truly want to be your friend. So help me to obey you and to serve you. <clears throat> Lord, fill me with your spirit. Just like Acts 2, fill me with your spirit. Empower me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, when we get scared and we're, we're wondering what's coming up next, Lord, just like Acts 4, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us boldness and help us to preach your word. Lord, this week I pray that every single person in this room that we will see the opportunities that you're giving us <clears throat> and that we will tell somebody about you. Lord, help us to step out there and assume that this person doesn't have a tomorrow. We need to tell them about you today. That today is a day of salvation. Right now, today. Lord, as always, keep this in the forefront of of who we are as a church you want us to be saved you want us to be empowered by your Holy Spirit and you want us to be ministering to the lost in the name of Jesus God we pray for the people of Taiwan of Hong Kong Lord I think that's part of it too we pray for these people Jesus Amen <clears throat> So I'm going to be spending some time this week, I usually don't announce this but I'm going to be spending some time this week fasting about some, some things that God is putting on my heart and stuff but, but I'm going to be praying for you too in the middle of this Just tell somebody about Jesus Just do it Just do it Our soul's in the balance so, Before noon tomorrow You're going to have that chance Do the best you can Tell somebody about Jesus Let them know And the Lord will honor that He'll bless you for it Way beyond what you can imagine Some of you are coming to my house For newcomers luncheon If you are fairly new around here And you have not been to my house For a newcomers luncheon You are invited Just kind of let me know Before you leave Most everybody has signed up But we want to make that opportunity available So Shake somebody's hand, tell them how glad you are that they're here, and we'll see you Wednesday night.